Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Hey guys, it's me, the Comeback Coach. Guys, I just want to tell you about a person in my life that is truly, truly amazing. And she's actually changing the world one house, one home at a time. Her name is Tammy Moses of The Hoarding Solution. She's the founder and chief encouragement officer of Homes Are For a Living, The Hoarding Solution, which is a veteran-owned and operated business. Tammy provides virtual consultations and workshops on the issues of hoarding. She believes in inspiring others to take their adversity and use it for the greater good. She is the voice of AKOPTH, adult kids of parents that hoard. She is also a voice and advocate for our, of, for YLITH, Youths Living in the Horde. You can connect with Tammy at homesareforliving at gmail.com and on Facebook at Instagram at The Hoarding Solution. So guys, if you know anybody that's struggling with ho- any kind of hoarding issue, please reach out to Tammy she has a heart of service and she truly cares about people. All right, guys, remember vertical momentum. The only way to go is but up. Hey, guys, welcome back. This is going to be a fun episode um, with my brand new friend. And we're going to be talking about all things writing, authoring, publishing. This guy is truly amazing. And I'm proud to call him a friend. My brother, what's going on today? How you doing, Rich? Can you hear me okay? Oh, I can hear you great, brother. How are you? I'm doing all right. Just drove back and forth across beautiful upstate New York. Uh, beautiful in the summertime. It sucks in the winter, but uh had a good day with my son, so doing okay. That's always a positive thing, right? Yeah, yeah. So... He's uh, 21 and getting set to go out in the world, so helping him out. Oh, is he looking for getting there? Did he graduate college, getting ready for work? No, he's, uh, he works full-time, and uh, he took a year off while the um, pandemic was going on. He's going back okay. to school. He's studying to be a, a police officer, hopefully. Nice. Yeah. And we, so. and we all know that we need great men like, like that yep. on, on our streets yeah. today. Yeah, he's a good dude, so I think he'll do all right. Well, if he's anything like his old man, you know, he's going to be a great. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about, you know, where you're from and sure. what kind sure. of kid were you growing up? Um, I grew up on Long Island, and uh, I don't speak that way anymore, but I can if you want me to for the podcast. <laughs> no, you don't have that long. I was going to say, you don't have that Long Island talk. So You want me to talk like this for the whole podcast? I can. It's just... You know, you when you don't live down there no more, you kind of you just grow out of it. You know what I'm saying? Well, I can do the whole Jersey thing. You know what I'm saying, bro? Yeah, yeah. But when <laughs> when you're not there anymore, you know, it, you tend to to move away from it. So, um, no, I, I grew up in Long Island and uh, joined the army when I was in my early 20s, and uh, I did 22 years, four of it active duty, and then I joined the National Guard because I figured, hey, it's National Guard, just chill out you know, one week in a month and two weeks in the summer. And uh, then 9-11 hit, and I had 
nine plus years active duty after that, running around doing stuff. Um, okay. First of all, you got to tell us what kind of in high school were you an athlete? Were you a, were you more studious? What kind of kid were you? I was a nerd, and I failed out of high school as a junior and went to a different high school and graduated from there barely by the skin of my teeth and uh, screwed around at college for a little bit and it didn't work for me. So I joined the army because I'm just not a classroom person. I'm a smart guy. I read a lot. I write a lot, but just maybe now that I'm older, sitting in a classroom would be okay, but too much. uh, I just, I'm too active of a person to just sit there and, you know, passively, get beaten by the nuns and learn stuff. So then, uh, you know, cause I love everybody's recruiting story. Tell me yeah. your recruiting story. So I was uh, at my local community college and I was walking across the quad there and pretty much doing nothing with myself, you know, going to class. And uh, there was two army recruiters there and they were completely ignoring me and they were trying to chat up the girls, you know? Right. Um, and I just started laughing and I'm like, you know, Hey, the uniform's going to get you something, but you know, hopefully, right. This is long Island. It's not exactly military place. And then I started talking to them and they're like, well, what are you doing with yourself? I'm like, uh, nothing really. And they're like, well, I come down to the office. So, uh, I did. And I signed up to be a tanker because the first, Ooh, golf- I love it. I'm a, I'm a oh. Delta. I mean, well, I went, I started out as a kilo and then I went to a Delta. So I'm a dat too. Well, I never made it there because I signed up and I had my going away party and everything. And I went to MEPS and I, and they're like, Oh, your eyesight's not good enough to, to join the army. And I'm like, what? I'm like, why didn't you tell me this before I had the going away party and everything? So I had to go back home for a couple of weeks and get a waiver. And I actually wound up as a uh, 13 echo. So I was artillery for most of my career. So are you deaf now? Yeah, I am in my left ear. <laughs> um, you know, a funny thing about cannons, they're really loud. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I've got four MOSs, uh, 13 Echo, which is a Delta now, uh, 13 Fox, which is forward observer, and 25 Bravo network systems guy, and 79 Tango. I was a recruiter for the guard for three years. Um, so, that and I was a tanker for a year in a National Guard unit, but I never got MOSQ'd. And uh, when I went to Iraq, they because I was a forward observer, they put me in charge of a logistics talk because you know <laughs> I knew absolutely nothing about it. So, hey, um, you know, it, it's it is what it is, right? So, tell me, you know, because growing up from you know, I'm in Jersey right now, I, I grew up in Jersey, yeah, so- whereabouts. I live right by Giant Stadium. Okay, so we might have bumped into each other in the city. Probably, yeah. and I've been stuck on LIE many times on a Friday. Yeah, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, I mean, Dude, I'm an old fart. Well, uh, when did you graduate high school? Let's call it that. Uh, I went to basic in 1986. I graduated in 86, so you and I are probably like right about the same age. There and you go. We, we probably bumped into each other oh, in the city sometime. You know, because I know when I went to basic – you know, everybody, I had a, a smart mouth from Jersey. I knew yeah, everything. Of and course. I kind of uh, did thousands and thousands and thousands of push-ups. Yeah. So what yeah. was it like you going to basic training, being around people from all around the world? It was a big culture shock like it was for me? It, it was. It was. I did my basic at um, Fort Leonard Wood. And I'd never really been off the island before. 
and you know you you meet everybody in the army it, you know rednecks you know from oklahoma and you know black guys from compton and la and you know it's just it's it's amazing what the army does and puts us all together and basically you know makes us into kind of one group and uh it was an eye-opener you know the artillery for some reason artillery units are like 60 or 70 percent african-american or or black or whatever the term is now and so for the first time in my life i was pretty much in the minority and i learned a lot about getting along with people it really did and uh you know so that's one of the best things about the army you you learn and my buddy was from uh tulsa oklahoma and you know he he he's like six foot three and i could barely understand what he was saying (laughs) But we came. We became really good friends. So, it's, that sounds a lot like my story. That's how I got cured of racism in 1986. That's the most popular chapter in my book. Is how I got cured from racism. Yeah, yeah. When you when you had the same mission, um, you know, it tends to focus you on other things than than who's who is what. You know, it's it's can you do your job is what the the big thing is. So, so you did like 30 years, something like that. Uh, 22 total. Um, I was in the guard for 18 years after that. I uh, did a tour in Iraq. I responded to 9-11, um, did airport security at JFK, uh, worked in division headquarters on active duty for a year and a half to get ready for Iraq. And then uh, six month train up at Drum and then a year overseas. And then uh, I've worked a couple different I was an ROTC instructor out in Syracuse here and I worked for recruiting command. Um, but it was about eight, nine years ago. I, I walked into my first day of annual training. I said, you know what? I got my 22 years in. I'm just too tired to do this anymore. Now, what you know? did you uh, finish at? Uh, E7, Sergeant First Class. Uh, I tended to shoot my mouth off a little too much to get Master Sergeant, uh, which is fine because once you get to that level, it's all just politics anyway, you know, so... I was happy with what I was doing. I was platoon sergeant and enjoyed it. So let's it. talk about leadership because, you know, a lot of times you, you get your E4, you get corporal, and that's when you can pretty much just glide. But as soon as you start hitting E5, E6, E7, yeah. you start to have to learn how to be a leader. Mm-hmm. Now, I prided, I prided myself, if that's, if that's even a word. It is. I think on, so. Um, being the best NCO that I can be, you know, I, be- I believed in the NCO creed with mm-hmm. all my heart and a lot of people, you know, they say, well, I've met a lot of people who are like, you know, I respect your rank, but I definitely don't respect the person that holds it. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about the difference between being holding a rank and being a leader. That's, that's a hard lesson to learn because when I got my E5, I was on active duty and I was in a unit, I was in a cohort. So all the guys that I had gone to basic training and AIT with, they were still E4s and all of a sudden I was an E5, right? <coughs> Excuse me. I almost sneeze. Too much gun oil in here. Um, sorry. So, you know, all of a sudden I was a sergeant in charge of guys that, you know, I've been serving with already for almost three years. And that was a pretty steep learning curve to figure out, you know, hey, they're not your buddies anymore. 
uh, you're in charge and you got to ask them to do things that, you know, two minutes ago you were, you were one of them and, you know, bitching and complaining about everything just like they were, but now you got to step up. And the thing you learn when you first get your stripes is that you got to be at the front, you know, doing things right. Um, I was an E6 staff sergeant and we were at JRTC in Louisiana in like 115 degree heat. And we got detailed to go through the trash from two weeks of JRTC and pick out all the unopened MREs for some contractor who had, you know, won the bid to, I don't know, whatever. Right. So we had to jump in these huge dumpsters and go through them and, the division sergeant major came over and he's like, what are you doing down there? And I'm like, you know, we're going through the trash. Right. And he's like, yeah, but you're a staff sergeant. I'm like, Hey, my guys are down here doing this crap and this heat. I'm going to be right there with them. You know? So that that's, you got to lead the front lead from the front is kind of a overused expression sometimes, but that's just the way you got to do it. So that and know your job better than anybody else. So you can be the expert at it. I, I love that. Now um, you got deployed. If you, you've been around, you've been around the block once or twice, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, were you single, married at the time that you got out of the military? Um, I was married when I went to Iraq, and I was not married soon after I came back. Okay, so now. Um, you said, you know, you went to your annual training and you, you knew you had your letter and you're like, all right, <laughs> I'm out well, of here because I, this is not the military that I joined. No, no, that's not it. it. It was me that wasn't the person that was in the military before because I got sick in 2010, uh, about you know four or five years after coming back from Iraq. I got diagnosed with a pituitary tumor. Which, according to the VA, has nothing to do with anything I was exposed to overseas, right? Um, so they took that out. Well, it was 2009. Um, they did surgery and took the tumor out, but it took my pituitary with it. So I was waiting on a med board for almost like four or five years. No, no three years. And I finally just said, you know what? I've got my 22 years in, and I'm physically not able to do this job anymore. And that goes back to leadership. If you're, you're not able to do the job, then you should step aside for somebody else to step into your, you know, into your boots. Um, so I just, it wasn't that the military was different. Uh, it was that I was different. I was not up to doing the task. And it bothers me when you see people who are, you know, maybe they're still mentally there, but when they're not physically fit enough to do the job, especially in a combat arms position, then they should go find something else. And I had reached the point where I decided that, you know, uh, things outside the military were more important than the things that were in. So, so now when you got back from Iraq, did what, did you notice anything was off was off or did you come back? Um, so when I came back from Iraq, can you hang on one second? Yeah. Around the back. And there's a cord in my car. All right. Or it's in the house. I'm running out. Sorry about that. Oh, um, no. my, my son's working on his new truck, and he's asking me where some tools were. So. Hey, man, this is like two brothers just having a cup of coffee, like I told you. 
Yeah, I know. But not, I, it's only going to go out to the world, and nobody's going to hear it anyway. So I don't yeah, worry. I know, I know. But I run a podcast too, and I, I don't want anybody to, you know, to interrupt what I'm doing. No, so this is just fun, man. I'm yeah. just having a good time. So, no, what I noticed when I came back from Iraq, uh, I didn't see combat really. I mean, you know, I, I got rocketed and stuff like that, and everybody did. Um, but I spent a long time away from home and when I got back, I found out I really didn't have a lot of tolerance for like the, the little stuff, you know, the, the little things that everybody in the civilian world takes for granted and gets pissed off at. And I'm like, Hey, I just made it through a war and I, I came through it. Okay. And I don't have time for stupid little things, which are valid concerns for other people. But for me, I'm like, why are you getting all freaked out over little stuff, right? You know, I'm like, nobody's shooting at you. You're not, you know, nobody's trying to kill you or anything. And my ex-wife didn't really take too kindly to that. Um, so I mean, yeah. I mean, my wife, like, because she has road rage. Yeah. I'm like, honey, if there's not IEDs going around or, or RPGs going at us. We're having a good day. Yeah. I mean, what, are you, what are you freaking out about? The guy cut you off. Big deal. He, you know what? He's probably going to buy it down the road anyway. I mean, just let it go, you know? Um, so, yeah, I, I it took me a long time to to relearn how to, not, not that I still have patience for stupid stuff, but to understand other people's issues. I don't have PTSD. Uh, I'm not whacked in the head for being in the war or anything like that. But being away for a year and a half, it really kind of, just put a few things in perspective. And I saw some people who rolled out the gate and didn't come back, you know? So that, that was traumatizing in a way. I mean, worse for them than it was for me, obviously, but you know, to see somebody just head out and like, Hey, have a good trip, you know, be safe and everything. And then they come back in a body bag. It's, it's, it's hard to see, you know? So what about yourself? Did you, did you do a tour? Or? No, um, I, for some reason, God kept me back. So, and and I guess it all happens for a reason, you know. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I just did um, state duty, you know, stateside. Well, it's not just it's it's still duty, yeah. you know. I still answer the calls. But I think you know He kept me around for to help do stuff like this, you know. So I have my my mission now. But now I did twenty three years in National Guard, regular Army. Uh-huh. So you know, when I got out, because I was going to do thirty, right. But I don't know if you noticed, but um, when I got ran over, so I'm oh, blind. Didn't know that. Yeah, I'm 80% blind. Oh. And, you know, if the Army can't, if you can't see, you can't shoot. So they yeah. don't need you. So they they medically discharged me. And the day I attempted suicide was um, Memorial Day 2012. Because okay. that day is, I you know, when I went to the med board, I was Sergeant Kaufman. And at the end of the day, I was no longer Sergeant Kaufman. Yep. It's a hard thing to to adjust to. And then I didn't know who Richard was. Right. And then I didn't have a mission anymore. That's something I struggle with every day still. You know, what what are we doing that fulfills that sense of need, right? Yep. And I'm doing it right now. I'm actually doing what I love. And last, last, no, September, no, April, I'm sorry. I got to throw my own mental health summit where I got to have 12 speakers come in and talk about PTSD, traumatic brain injury. Excellent. Good stuff. Yeah. So I'm, I'm paying it forward this way. Good. So what was your transitioning like? Cause you know, 
I got to tell everybody, you know, even though we're all hua hua when we're in the military, you know, we get used to getting paid on the 1st and the 15th. Yeah. Care, you know, 30 days paid vacation, all that stuff. And then when you get out, we no longer have a career. We no longer have a mission. And some of us, like me, go down that deep, dark path to of, you know, substance abuse and eventually might end up with the gun in your mouth. Uh, well, so, obviously you didn't succeed. So thank, thank yeah, God for that. Thank God. So what was your transitioning like? Can I ask a silly question? Of course. One soldier to another? Yeah. Did you not shoot yourself because you couldn't see well enough to shoot yourself? No, actually, I'm just busting your balls. No, but this is this is what happened. Since we got a, we got a moment, yeah, now, I think a lot of people know this unless they've seen because I speak on international stages and stuff now. But okay. what happened was, um, I, I, you know, in Jersey, how we got the highways and we got in the middle of the roads, we have all those concrete barriers. Yeah. So I, I bought a brand new truck, and I I, I decided that I was going to uh, hit a hundred miles an hour in the in the truck. Damn. And uh, I got a brand new Dodge Ram 1500. Yeah. And um, I'd close my eyes and just take my hands off the wheel and turn on the radio and and uh, and hit a hit a, a concrete barrier. So I did. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. The barriers on was yeah. it Garden State Parkway or on the Parkway. And I yeah. just, and I did it. I got up to 100 miles an hour. Uh, closed my eyes and I felt the truck moving slowly moving moving turn on the radio and then there was a song called uh by i think it's george Strait, uh, i saw god today and in the song they talk about your his to- seeing his baby girl for the first time and i had yeah. a, a, a brand new baby girl at home and really? i kind of just woke so me she up. saved your life yep and sh- it shook me so from that you know still that, there yeah but from that moment on is when i decided all right i need help and i decided to get help hello can you hear me? Sorry, my speaker cut out for a second. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Sorry, okay. my, my computer yeah. speaker just crapped out for a second. So that's and so she saved my life. And that's from that day on is when I decided to start trying to help others that are still struggling. Well, you know, I, I worked for a suicide prevention program for a while. After I, I kind of getting out of the military was a really bad time in my life. Uh, it was 2013. I had a construction company that fell apart because of the the real estate crash and just, you know, um, I was trying to struggle to find work. I couldn't really find anything. I don't, I don't have a college degree, which, you know, nowadays is like usually the kiss of death. Right. Um, and I was working for a suicide prevention program for about a year and a half. We were just reaching out to veterans and I lost a guy who lived down the street from my office in a real small town. Everybody knew I was there. But the guy killed himself. He was 34, had three kids, former Marine, right? Two, you know, two or three tours. Um, nobody told him, hey, go down and see John at the, you know, at the um, Heroes at Home office because they were afraid to talk to him about it. And, you know, when I found out, uh, I was mad. And I'm like, you know, this guy lost his life just because you guys didn't want to talk to him about, the, you know, you were afraid to make him look bad. Right. Um, and I, I quit the program. I said, I can't do this anymore because it was too much for me to, to know that I could have done something for this dude. Even if it was just talking, because, you know, as well as I do, talking to somebody who's suicidal and, and empathizing is very powerful. Right. 
um, to get started with the healing process. And I could have done that for him. And, you know, I, I got mad. I, I said, I, I can't do this anymore. Cause it, it, and you know, it was hard. I knew other guys who killed themselves and I was facing my own troubles. You know, I was a part-time dad, you know, it, it just wasn't working out. I was actually homeless for not homeless, but, uh, couch surfing with family because I was trying to keep up with my child support payments um, because that came first, you know, and didn't have the income. So uh, living in my parents' basement at 40 something years old, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, you understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. 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 So what I did was I said, you know what? Uh, I met a beautiful woman in 2009. She's the greatest person I've ever met in my life. All right. And, um, we were, you know, she, we were, she had her kids and I, her kid and I had my kids and they were 200 miles apart. So we saw each other when we could. Um, but I said, you know what, if this is going to work and you're going to be a dad and you're going to succeed with life, you just got to buckle down and start over. And that's what I did. I took a state job for like minimum wage part-time and I worked at it and worked at it and, uh, you know, slowly mo moved up and then I got a decent federal job making decent money but i just started over from scratch and it was hard man it's hard when you're in your 40s to just start over it really is but well like i said i've started my podcast and i tur just turned 50 so yeah I, I totally get it but you know i think that's one thing the military does teach us to adapt and overcome and yeah sometimes if, you, if you can't get over the bridge go under it or go around it you know yeah, absolutely. Um, and it took me a long time to realize to apply that to my, my regular life, you know. Um, so, and that I think getting out of the military was just finally acknowledging that that part of my life was done. And I, I've seen a lot of guys who can't uh, accept that, that they're not in the military anymore. And it just consumes them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I tell people, I said, listen, you know, you had 18 or 20 years of your life before the military. And you're going to have 20, 30, 40 years of your life after the military. So, you know, enjoy it. You know, don't get all obsessed with that 20 years of your life, right? Or four years or six years or whatever it was. You know, you got every all the other time. And you said you got kids, right? Yeah, I've got three so, beautiful children. I'm, I'm blessed, really yeah. blessed. To, to me, those, those kids are far more important than anything I ever did in the military, you know? So... And there's just so many different things in life that you can look at and be like, okay, well, that's what I did then. And I'm proud of my service. And I learned a lot of things from it. And let's move on to the next chapter, you know? Yep. And like, you know, like one of my friends, Nick says, you know, Sergeant First Class Nick said, you know, once you step off, like I left Fort Hood, that's, that was my retirement. You know, yeah. once, you, once you step off base, the military does not give a shit about you. Um, you no matter what rank you are, as soon as you hit civilian, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you have to, you know, reinvent yourself. Yeah, you're a cog in the machine, and as soon as you leave, they put another cog in there, you know. So, you know, but then, like you said, a lot of people, you know, they they hold on to that veteran, you know, they're always wearing a camo, and they're all, you know, and they they can't, like you said, move on and into the the life that god has for you right there's you know you can't have one foot in the, in the past and one in the present you know what i mean 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I I have a hat with my rank on it that I wear around sometimes, and I have a sticker on the back of my car to keep me from getting tickets. It says OIF veteran. <laughs> and that's about it. That's, you know, uh, I really don't run around, you know, like point to it. Obviously, I do use it to help sell my, my work, right? Because my audience. Uh, but to everyday life, I'm, I'm just a dude. Yeah. Now, talk to us about how you got into books and being an author and publishing and all that stuff. Sure. So um, I used to have a military comic strip I did for a couple of years called PowerPoint Ranger. Right. And it was in the Army Times for a little while. It, it was done all in PowerPoint because that's what I did in the war. I made staff briefings for generals. Um, and it was it was pretty successful on Facebook, but it was it had a large following, but it was. I think it paid to do it, right? Um, and then one day I was watching The Walking Dead. I just turned it on for the first time. And uh, I'm sitting there complaining about how bogus a lot of it was, right? And my that beautiful woman that I told you about was sitting there and she said, well, you know, if you can do better, then go ahead. And I said, sure, no problem. So I set out to write a realistic uh, zombie apocalypse, right? Um, how would the army function? You know, what things would actually be real challenges? And the very first line was, you know, it sucks about the zombie apocalypse. And it's a couple soldiers sitting around and one says, no, what? And the first one says, there's no toilet paper, right? Because all those basic things would kind of disappear pretty quickly, as we saw with COVID. Right? Yep. Um, and the, to get my revenge on my beautiful woman i put her on the cover <laughs> I, I put her in uh acus and i photoshopped a, a gun on her and it came out pretty cool um and i called it even zombie killers get the blues right and i self-published it because i was like you know whatever i'll just throw it out there i started putting chapters up on my powerpoint ranger page and i got a lot of feedback from people that were like hey this is really good just continue on with it so that was 11 books ago in that series and i have another probably eight to 10 books and different things that I've tried and some pretty successful series. Uh, I fell on my face a couple times. I have a small publishing company now that I work with a couple other guys to put out different books and I, I don't get rich at it. I, I still have to work full time, but you know, it brings in some money and it allows me to indulge in my, my creative side. Uh, Cause I can build whole worlds in there and it, it's really a lot of fun. So Wow, you know, like I wrote one book, and I think uh, I blew my load the first book. <laughs> and I mean, your, what was it? It's called A Hero's Journey from Darkness to Light. Did you publish it? It's on. Um, it's self published. It's out on Amazon. Matter of fact, hey. it, it hit number one in substance abuse last month. Excellent! Congratulations. Yeah. So, and, but you know, all the proceeds go to help veterans that are struggling with PTSD and traumatic brain injuries. So, it's well, all good for you. It's all about paying, you know, everything I do, even the podcast, it's all about just, you know, paying it forward. Sure. Absolutely. Um, now, it, you know, how do you, because like, I got a friend, my friend, Matt, he's a very prolific writer in the health and fitness and supplement world. And he said something that Stephen King said that in order for him to be successful is he had to write 20,000 words a day. Else he wouldn't get off of his, his computer. So how do you uh, keep it everything fresh 
and exciting and fun without getting that, you know, a brain cramp? Um, well, I don't write that much. Okay. I, I put out like two, maybe three books a year and they're, they're pulp fiction. Basically. I admit that. Right. You know, old dime store novel kind of stuff. Right. I'm not writing George R. R. Martin, you know, 5 billion word Bibles or, you know, huge books. But when I, okay. So first off, uh, I'm actually a little, little, not sure where to go with my zombie killer series because I've written 11 books in it and it's 10 years down the road and our heroes are getting a little beat up. Right. Um, so what I do is I step out and I, I turn to some other project. And if I have writer's block, um, I have four, maybe five books going right now. Right. Um, and well, I mean, when I say going, some are, are concepts, some are fairly well along, others are sitting there in the, what the hell do I do next, you know, pile, right? Um, but, and, and this may be unique for me, although I've found it's not with fiction writers, I have entire plots of dozens of books and stories in my head, and, and they pop into my head all the time. And I think about them, you know, take a few notes, I'll write them down, maybe a year down the road, they'll turn into something. Uh, I keep all the details for all the characters for zombie killers and stuff in my head. Right. Um, for actually all my books, I don't have like a, a written Bible or whatever you want to call it, where all the notes are other than the books themselves, where I can go back and reread, but all these characters live in my head. So it's a scary place. In there. It really is. There's so many people running around. Um, but I, I basically, if I get stuck, and I do sometimes, I will go write something else. If right now I'm writing uh, a second book for a series called The Fallen Empire. It's set in the 27th century. It's about mercenaries and stuff. That book itself is three separate stories. So if I get stuck on one story, I'll pop over to the other one. There's some characters who move in and out of the stories. Uh, if I really get stuck... I'll go back to my Fay Wars book, which is, you should actually read it. It's kind of cool being a Jersey guy. Uh, it's elves like from Tolkien with their magic and dragons and all that stuff invading Manhattan. Okay. Right? I guess that would be cool because then you start seeing some, you know, some landmarks. You're like, oh, yeah, I know where that's at. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the, And there's a Delta operator who just happens to be in Manhattan killing somebody. Um, when this happens and he becomes the, the lead of the resistance for the first couple of days, right? You know, you got the 69th infantry in there, right? Um, stuff like that. And that, that was actually a project I came up with a buddy of mine. Uh, it was his idea. Who's a major in the army reserves. And he's got a passion for this kind of stuff too. So he, he wrote the second book and we're bouncing back and forth with that stuff. So long okay. answer to a short question. No, because uh, I, I love it. Cause I'm, I'm, I just interviewed a gentleman. whose name was uh, Michael Geyer. And he just, he's a, a award-winning author and documentary. Uh, um, he sounds familiar. I've he just, he just wrote a, I mean, he just put out a documentary called Wounded Heroes. Okay. And it was about, you know, soldiers dealing with PTSD, depression, uh, MST and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And, you know, he's been an actor for years, but because he directed this, it really affected him. It really changed his perspective on life. Have any of the books mm -hmm. that you've ever 
put out or read changed your perspective on life? Yes. And not the books that I've put out. Other than the fact that I've made a little extra money to go on vacation when I otherwise couldn't have afforded to. Um, there's one of my favorite author is uh, a guy named Mark Helprin, right? And he was uh, an American, but he's also Israeli and he, he fought in the Yom Kippur War, I think, or something like that. And he wrote a book called A Soldier of the Great War about an Italian soldier on the Alpine Front. And it it's the best book I've ever read. I mean, I, I pretty much, I reread it every year, right? And uh, it's about hope and, and living through the war and making it out the other side, dealing with the obstacles of life. And it's just, that's just my go-to book when I need to be motivated or reminded that people always have it worse than I do um, and they still persevere, then that's what I go to. So Soldier of the Great War by Mark Helpern. It's fiction, but it's based very much on his experiences in war and things like that. So okay, now I highly recommend it. People that listen to this, they're either mm -hmm. uh, entrepreneurs, uh, I call them vetrepreneurs, you know, they're veterans and entrepreneurs. Yeah. You know, um, mm -hmm. and a lot of people, you know, and they all, a lot of people laugh when they hear this, but they know it's true. When usually when guys or girls get out of the military, they start a t-shirt company, a hat company, coffee, or liquor. And, yep. and six months later, they're 10 grand in debt and don't know what the hell just happened. So uh -huh. uh, talk to us about, you know, because people think, all right, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to put it out on Amazon. I'm going to rich and retire. And people don't realize that, you know, once you get it on one of those platforms is when the work really begins. Correct? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um this is just as much a business as it is uh, any other business, right? And writing the book is, yes, the hard part, but it's not the hardest part, right? Um, there is, you got to get reviews, right? You know, if nobody ever reads your book, uh, then, you know, what good is it, right? So talk um, to, you know, because a lot of people I know that are authors, and that's where I struggled when I first started. You know, a lot of people would read the book, but they wouldn't review it. So talk to us about how reviews can help your book. Um, well, Amazon has certain algorithms that allows you to, you know, if you reach a certain number, they'll put it on, uh, on, you know, certain port portions of the page. Um, you know, it, it, the more reviews you get, the more people are going to see your stuff. Right. And figuring out what exactly that is, is kind of like a club. Uh, black magic, right? How to make that happen. But I have advanced re uh, reviewers who I send copies to and probably about 40 or 50 of them and a good 15 to 20 will drop the reviews pretty quickly. Uh, I got lucky because I had a pretty good fan base from my comic strip, right? Who followed me into writing books, right? But on the other hand, if I don't put out product, I disappear. I mean, if you, if you, I took last year, I only put out two books because I was focusing on uh, getting other authors, other veteran authors to, uh, you know, be able to, to do their work. Right. And uh, I just disappeared from the market and it's taken me a while to recover because the, 
you got to spend money to make money. All right. So you can't just throw the book out there. Um, especially if you're an indie author, if you have a contract with a publishing company, by all means, they should be doing that stuff. Um, but as an indie author, I pay money to run advertisements uh, on Facebook and on Amazon. And I, there's many places you can go to get reviews. And, uh, you know, I'm not an expert at this by any means whatsoever. If I was, I'd be much more successful, right? But you also have to have money to invest to make money, right? Uh, so for every $500 I spend, I'll probably get back a thousand in revenue if I'm lucky and I can figure out the algorithms based on similar works and keywords and, and all that other stuff, right? So it's, it's, it's a game and it takes a lot of my time and it's very frustrating and almost impossible to figure out. So if you had to start all over again, with little or no money, how would you do it? Uh, anything that's free, you know, and, and when I started, it was a little different. Uh, social media was much less restricted than it is now. Um, so, you know, now it's, it's pretty much a pay to play thing with Facebook and Instagram and places like that. You may may I have 80,000 followers on PowerPoint Ranger, right? If I put up a link to a book, maybe a thousand will see them or less uh, because Facebook wants me to pay for it to be seen, right? Which pisses me off. But on the other hand, if I somehow attach something to it that is more viral in content, like if I have a great cover or something like that, then more people will share it and more people will see it. So if you're going to start with little or no money, go get some money first. All right, go deliver pizza, go, you know, borrow 200 bucks for a good cover, right? Um, you know, don't do your research too. There's a lot of a lot of free information out there on what helps. You know, covers are very, very important because something like 60% of the people who buy a book buy it because of their cover, right? Unless they're already fans of the work, okay? Yeah, because I mean, I believe, um, because I remember when I was looking at my cousin put out a book and and then he said, oh it's a great book so we went down to barnes and nobles and i placed it next to every else everybody else's book he's like man this thing sucks so he went and changed the cover yeah it didn't pop you know yeah yeah and and not to be gratuitous but the, one of the best cover best-selling books i've ever had had a uh let's just say a soldier riding a tank and she was trying to cool off by unzipping her coveralls. Okay. Let's just say all right, people buy that book just because of that cover. It's no worse or better than any of my other ones. Right. Um, but you know, John Ringo, who's one of the most popular military science fiction writers, uh, his last series, which is also a zombie apocalypse series. The last cover of his anthology was, a couple of girls in basically schoolgirl uniforms shooting machine guns. You know, you can go that route if you want to. I personally don't, right? But every cover that I put on my book, I got very, very lucky and found a good artist on Fiverr who does the work for me for a couple hundred bucks and he turns it around well. And they're really good covers, right? But he's in the Philippines. It took me forever to find somebody like that. With artists, you're either going to get somebody who's really good and flaky and cheap, or you're going to get somebody who's cheap and sucks, but will give you something. Or you'll get somebody who's really good, 
and really expensive because they're good and they deliver, right? I know people will pay two to three thousand dollars for a cover. Okay, um, there's lots of videos on Amazon on how to understand advertising because you have to advertise your book. It doesn't do any good if nobody knows it's out there, right? Yeah. Uh, any publicity is good publicity unless you're you know like running around shooting people or something. Um, but call up you know your friends and all your connections and be like, hey, you know, you got any connections, any kind of media outlets, even if it's just a, a blurb in a, in a local newspaper, right? Uh, somebody will buy the book. And for every 10 people who read a book, hopefully one will leave a review, right? Uh, start building your mailing list. Uh, grab all your contacts off of your Gmail and, and your government accounts and most and, of them on subscribe. And that was one of the things that I did not do. Um, until recently, I'm starting to learn, you know, yeah. building email list. But, you know, mm-hmm. you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. exactly. And that's why I have this podcast, because now I can ask anybody about anything that I want. Yeah. You know? Well, that's why I started Canon Publishing, because I learned this the hard way, right? And I really wanted to teach people, especially veterans who wanted to be writers, without having to go through all the crap that I did. Right. Um, so, for example, my buddy Lucas Markham, uh, great author, right? He wants to do his next book by himself, right? Because I've been doing all the, the marketing and all that other stuff, and we're partners and, you know, we write well together. But I said, hey, when you sit down to do that, uh, let's sit down and I'll show you how all this is done, right? Because he doesn't have the time to relearn everything, he really doesn't. Um, another good way to get yourself out there as a, a writer is to write short stories. Okay. And, and put them in anthologies and you'll see, you know, contests for, you know, short story contest. That'll put your name out there. People will recognize it and you'll have a body of work that you can refer back to. Right. Um, and I'm not trying to sound like a pompous ass because I didn't know how to write when I first started, but for the love of God, please be able to accept criticism of your work and have an open mind and work to improve yourself. Okay. I go back and look at some of the stuff I wrote and I'm like, hmm, no wonder why my wife won't read it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because she's very much a, a grammar person. And, you know, my grammar was atrocious. And, Go out and get a writing style handbook and go read other people's works. You like, you want to write military action thrillers? Go read military action thrillers and see how they're written. And don't be like, well, I just wrote the best book in the world because no, you didn't. I didn't. I haven't yet. I'm trying, but I know there are many authors who are much better than I am. So, you know, don't you think that, like, for me, you know, like, um, my my guy that I really appreciate that is really teaching me and is mentoring me is Ed Milet. Okay. And, you know, he has the way he writes, the way he does things. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes you have to find out, you know, who the, whoever's the best in the field that you want to be in and learn from them. Not, you know, not pick their whole style, but learn no. what's making them successful. You yeah, know, absolutely. I, you know, you know, they say success leaves clues. It does. It does. You know, um, you know I. Uh, it, it, let's say you're in the army. Let's say you're in the service, right? And you're a PFC and you're a stud, right? 
and your sergeant's like, no, we don't do it this way. We do it this way because we learned it in the war and people died learning how to do that, right? You don't turn around and be like, well, Sarge, I think I have a better idea. Now, hopefully, if you have a good sergeant, he'll say, well, what's your idea? Maybe you do have a good idea. But you can't come off like you know everything when you've never been downrange because those guys learn the hard way, right? Um, and why not read their tactics and techniques and procedures to help maybe save your life? That's why we have manuals in the Army, you know? Um, so learn from experience. Don't, you know, eat that humble pie and, and understand that you're not the best and the greatest and you may never be. But hopefully along the way, you'll eventually be pretty good. Yep. So what is the most important lesson you've learned while in business? My day job. Because <laughs> I got to put food on the table. Oh, so um, I mean, like, no. I, there's some guys out there and I'm not going to mention their names because I'm not, not going to be sued. Uh, but, you know, they're always talking about you know, go all in on your dreams, but they don't realize, you know, some people have kids to feed. They got a, a mortgage to pay, I do. house to pay. So you can't go yeah. all in on your dream unless you have money to eat and a place to sleep and electricity. So you can yeah. plug your phone in, you know? You know, I, I'm slowly getting successful and, and eventually by the time I retire, I'm hoping that that'll be my main source of income, right? I could sit here and write 24-7, but I'll get burnt out pretty quickly too. And that success may not come, right? You know, so uh, yeah, if, if you need a day job, keep your day job, right? Hopefully it's something that fulfills you and you're happy doing anyway, right? But don't expect to be, you know, super successful overnight that's like having a good pitching arm in high school and you're like well i'm gonna be a major league ball pitcher right maybe one in a million does that right uh you still got to plan for a career if it happens it happens but you know you still gotta kind of like you said you still gotta eat right um especially if you have a family so exactly 100 percent I love it. So what top three pieces of advice would you give to someone just starting out in business? Uh, in business or, or writing or publishing? Well, because unfortunately it's always a business, you yeah. know, because um, people realize, you know, it costs, even if you're self-publishing, it costs, uh, you might have to find somebody on far, Fiverr to do your, you know, cover. Then if you're like me and you, can't spell worth a damn you might have to get an editor and some of them charge by the word so oh, yeah it, it, it's still a business and, and so you, first you know, off take it and if you don't think of it as a business you're gonna go out of business before you start a business yeah first off um network okay just like i'm talking to you tonight right um absolutely 100 percent Use connections with people that know what they're doing, who can tell you before you make the mistake, what you're doing and what you're doing wrong, what you're doing right. And be number two is be open to criticism, be willing to learn. Right. And number three is work your ass off, which should be pretty self-evident, but to some people it's not. Um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Networking is great. Uh, we live in the information age. There's, tons and tons and tons of videos and books 
on how to do specifically what you're planning on doing. You know, it's all been done before, right? Um, so, you know, absolutely, 100%, you should do your research and learn your business before you jump into it. I, I am a stubborn guy sometimes, and I'll be the first one to admit, I don't always listen to people when it comes to, you know, to what I should or shouldn't be doing because I want to do it all myself. But on the other hand, Hey, uh, I'm doing okay, but I could probably be doing better, you know. We're all and we're all a work in progress, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so now, how do we find your books? How do we find you know? Because I, my, I have friends. They love. I, I'm the guy that's always reading all. Like I'm a geek. I know I'm a geek, but yeah. I, I'm actually, you know, because it's easier for me to listen to an audio book than to read because of my my vision. No, I understand. I'm listening to a book from uh, from the 1900s, talking, you know, with Andrew Carnegie and Napoleon Hill. So, you know, I, I'm still getting, you know, still getting that knowledge. Yeah, and still yeah. learning. So, how do we find your books? How do we support your mission. Um, I only want you to read my books if you are really into that stuff. I mean, you know, don't yeah, but the, the audience will be. The audience might be. No, I'm just saying, you know, for anybody, don't don't buy my book just to support me. Buy my book because you really enjoy it and and you're looking for something entertaining and and you'll find it. Um, So first off, uh, canonpublishing.us is is my website. All right. And all my books are on there. Okay, Uh, they're available in ebook format, paperback, and a couple of them are in audio. So uh, the regular Scout Team one is is ten of the zombie killer books in one big forty hour audiobook, which you sh- if you have Audible, you should be jumping on it and listening to it. Uh, Invasion also is on audio. It's a three book set. Where <sighs> have you ever seen or read Ender's Game or listened to it? No. Or Ender's War. It, it was a movie a while back, uh, but very famous book series um and in it there's like a child general who you know is the chosen one right and he he beats a bunch of aliens who are invading earth and i thought to myself what if he lost you know what would the after effects be and and how do you beat an enemy who has defeated the best militaries on earth right um i wrote a three book series on that um so there's a lot of things out there for everyone it's not just, you know, zombie apocalypse. It's science fiction or space opera. There's a lot of different things. So canonpublishing.us. Can, that's canon with two N's because I'm an artilleryman. Um, you can listen to my podcast that's debuting soon called Interesting People. Oh, which, I, I would love to come on that show. I think that would be fun. Absolutely. I'll send you a link. And I'm just building up a backlog right now so that it'll drop probably in a couple of weeks. Um, Unfortunately, because I I just I just hired and we got a new graphics and publishing guy that's helping me out, and yeah. and I didn't realize I got like sixty episodes in the can, so I got oh like, yeah I got like a whole year's worth of of interviews. But now I got a question about your publishing company because yeah, and I, it just came to my mind. I don't know why, but no, ahead, if somebody self publishes and it's on Amazon, mm-hmm. how do you get? unself-published how do you get a book published somewhere else if it's self-published 
You tell me, <laughs> and I will pay you a lot of money for that answer. <laughs> okay, it's it's one of those things where like. You know, you're in the you're in the minor leagues or the you know the triple the a triple C baseball game, and you're just playing a pickup game and trying to do your best playing baseball. And some scout comes along and is like, "Holy crap! Look at that kid in his arm!" Right? You know, and they grab you for the major leagues. Right? That is how, in my opinion, because of how much publishing's changed in the last twenty years, that's how you get picked up. Okay, but you can get an agent or you can try and get an agent and they'll work for you to get your stuff into a major publishing house. Um, back when I talked about networking, uh, you know, make friends with authors. People are very much approachable nowadays, right? I'm on Facebook. Hey, anybody listening to this, send me a friend request. It's j.f.holmes, H-O-L-M-E-S on Facebook. And I will become friends with you on Facebook and we will shoot the breeze. All right. If you're not creepy. Okay. Um, you know, or, that's my, or a crypto guy. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I get those every day, you know. Um, but I, I'm in touch with a lot of veterans, and I'm friends with them. You could join the command post, which is our fan book, our fan group on Facebook. And if I have a question about something, I will ask, and you can provide input. I'm, I'm an artilleryman. I don't know, you know, outside my lane. There's a lot of things I don't know about the military. And if I'm writing military fiction, I will ask and say, hey. You know, you were a tanker for a long time, right, Rich? Yeah. You know, how many yeah. years? 20, 30 years, right? 23 years, yeah. Yeah, and um, I, I may have a question. You know, you probably started out on M60s and moved to M1s, right? Or maybe M1s. Yeah, actually, I was the first. I was on, when I was at Fort Knox in 86, mm -hmm. I was on the first experimental model, XM1. Was okay. The first tank ever. So I never had the chance to play with the m60s so okay but you're experimental m1s to m1a2s yeah so you're an expert on on the m1 tank right so i may ask you you know hey uh now i know a little bit because i was in a guard m1 unit for a year or so but um i may ask you you know like if a loader's been you know continuously loading for three or four minutes, how, how long do you think it's going to take him to load those rounds once he starts to get tired, right? Mm. And, and you'll be like, oh, you know what? You start off all hot and fresh, and then they get heavy. And, you know, probably after two minutes and 20 rounds or something or 30 or whatever, your ass starts to drag. And instead well, of See, that's when the, the loader starts yelling at the, the gunner to hit something. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep reloading. Right. So, uh, so I look for that kind of realism. Like I would know if the, the loader yell, would yell at the gunner, right? Um, but you know that, and you would say, hey, well, this might be something you want to put in there. And that makes the realism of the book, you know? Um, so that's the kind of stuff that I want to be friends with. I want people to be in the fan club so that I can get that realism that I sometimes can't provide, right? Um, so the command post, canonpublishing.us, uh, JF Holmes. And in regards to how you get picked up, first of all, you have to write a good book, okay? Or it could be crap like Twilight, <laughs> okay? Um, but you got to you gotta write something that people are going to be interested in, okay? You, you want to you make money? Write romance books because they make money left and right, okay? You want to get picked up by 
Simon and Schuster with the best, you know, historical fiction, make sure your work is re, you know, that, that you have a book that people are going to want to read. Okay. Your pet project may not be something that people want to read and there's nothing wrong with that, but it just may not have that mass appeal. So do your research. See what I'm saying? Yep. Right. Love it, brother. Yeah. You know, your audience yeah. is what it comes down to. And then be annoying you know, persistence, kick down the door. It's how you get a job too. You, you, you throw out 300 resumes and, and you get 10 responses and then you hammer those 10 responses. You know, it's the same thing. Persistence, perseverance, sweat, you know, achy fingernails, keep writing. You just keep going on. I love it, brother. I'm so grateful that you just, we just got together. Yeah, sure. We talked about it a couple of years ago, but and now we're hanging out. I just joined your group, so um, okay, cool. I'm excited. Um, this is not going to go out for a while, but it oh, I know. it's going to go out on 10 different platforms, and we have up to 1.4 million uh, viewership. So Excellent. go everywhere. I'm just grateful for you, man. And uh, thank you for taking time, brother. Hey, thanks for surviving when, yeah. when you hit that, that low spot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I know it was just the grace of God that you did, but you know, even so, and realizing where that, where that was going to take you and, and turning it around. So yeah, uh, that's important. And you're doing more important work than I am, honestly. You know, yeah. We're I, both doing something brother. Yeah. I reached out to you on LinkedIn today also. So sure. I do most of my damage because okay. I found a lot of great authors like John McCaskill's book came out, embrace the suck, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a great people. If you're, people are looking to, if you're a podcaster and people are looking to have guests, that's a great place to do it because everybody wants their books promoted. Yeah. You know, if absolutely. You love LinkedIn uh, and follow me on LinkedIn. Yeah. And I'd love to interview you. It's I, my podcast is more just talking about people's life, you know, um, you know, what their lives have been like. So uh, whatever I can do to help you out, you just let me know. Yeah. Just let me know when they, when they, whenever you want to start, whenever you want to record and we'll get together and hang out. And I think I'll, my, my story, I don't think it's interesting, but a lot of people do. So, you know what? I found some of the most interesting stories are just everyday people's lives. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Uh, so that's the people that I talk to. All right, brother. We'll have an amazing week. Keep kicking ass. And um, I'm so appreciative of you and thankful for you today, brother. Yeah, you're kind of inspiring me to write now. So maybe I'll maybe I'll start writing again. There you so. go. All right, brother. God bless. All right, cool. Bye. Appreciate it. Have a good night, Rich. Bye. Hey guys, if you're enjoying our show, if you love what we're doing, if you would like to support us, we have a whole bunch of great stuff coming out. We have a brand new t-shirt line that's coming out. Hats coffee mugs, any kind of swag that lets your friends know that you support Vertical Momentum and you're always looking to get better. Also, we have our new coffee brand coming out. It's called Vertical Momentum Coffee. It's ass-kicking coffee, and, and it, will, it will get you moving in the morning. So, guys, if you're interested, go to www dot richard dot net check us out leave us a note tell us what you'd like and we'll actually send it to you the new website is being built so if you guys want to our book is out there on amazon it's called a hero's journey 
from darkness to light. Definitely check it out. It talks about my story, but it also talks about how to survive depression, how to survive addiction. All right, guys, I love you. Thank you so much for always supporting our mission, which is to save lives. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.